Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Infinity Pool, starring Alexander Skarsgård, Mia Goth, and Cleopatra Coleman. Written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to wrap up another film review cask. This one built all around the films of family Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah. uh, we did Two Dads, uh, and now we're going to wrap up this week with his son's latest effort. Uh, slightly new release came out at the beginning of the year, uh, Infinity Pool. Matt had been dying all year to show you this movie. We just finally watched it. I can't wait to get your raw, raw reaction to what we just witnessed. Uh, is there a record for most oh my god moments in a movie? Have we hit that yet? <laughs> this was there. Are we getting close? <laughs> That's why off mic I brought up Mandy to you. Yeah, but I think this might. I think this surpasses it. Yeah, again we need to get to get into all those and just like some of the questions that are going to take us down some interesting conversation paths that you know you might not want to you wouldn't necessarily think with a, a film of this type but it's horror it's a bit science fiction it's a bit thrillery yep. um and we'll get into the weeds uh, with all of that here but as we kind of get into it here we have a little bit of a hodgepodge of whiskey this week so uh i'm gonna let you kill that one all right Ponderosa Whiskey Company. Yep, and then I'm gonna have uh, some of the Basil Hayden Subtle Smoke, and yeah, we're we're in the middle of kind of bottle kill right now, and then I have some extra Weller Special Reserve there for a little bit extra if we so need it. So to, to you, you, to you, cheers. That's been such a good bottle. Yeah, absolutely. And we got to raise it up. R.I.P. Uh, the Regal promo uh movie quotes is officially dead thank god <laughs> yeah. like a literal like announcement i read in like uh, people writing articles about like it's about damn time <laughs> it's just how much that was hated yeah i can't we a couple weeks ago i, I think we brought that up of just how cringy it is mm-hmm. and even you know uh, we went to see oppenheimer i was just like gosh like do my skin's crawling watching this thing well they uh, they put it to bed officially thank god and then, you know, there's something I've been wanting to do on, on the podcast, you know, just to pepper it in on some of these episodes. Maybe we can come up with a better name for it, but I'm just going to call it for right now, uh, Rye uh, Restoration. Mm. How's that sound? Okay. Uh, and it's just a place for us to, before we get into the, the meat of the show, if you've seen something recently, whether it's an episode we've done or a film that you've you've viewed recently uh, that you want to kind of reappraise and give a little bit more uh, praise to, uh, just a cool area to to give some shout outs. And what's prompting me to do this is uh, John Wick Chapter Four. Mm-hmm. The more I think about this film, and I watched it again uh, recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I gave it, you know, a single barrel rating. Uh, I was pretty high on it. I I, I don't think it was my favorite in the series. Uh, watching it again, I'm a little wrong in in some of that regard. It's the best entry in that series, one of the finest action films ever made. I, I got to rebump up that rating to a top shelf if I could redo it. What changed for you? Just the efficiency mm-hmm. and the the prowess of all the choreography. I'm already on board with that world and how unique it is, and 
the markers and the currency and assassins, you know, guilds and whatnot. I think all that's awesome, but something about the action bits in four have just been sticking with me a lot longer and just how impressive they were. A lot of that's due to Mr. Keanu Reeves himself and age 55 or whatever he is pulling off some just remarkable choreographed moves. And I was high on it when we did, did it back. Was that March, April? Mm Mm-hmm. I, I would be higher on it now with a little bit of distance from that. So, yeah, I'm bumping it up. That's that's a top-shelf film right there. And if you haven't seen it and if you're like, ah, another wick, like, you know, take the time, invest into that. That's not a fair thing to say about any of those, oh, another wick. Yeah. Because I think the piece that maybe is a little bit replayed is the creation of the Continental or the Assassin's Guild in that world. Yeah. And as that gets replayed, I think it just gets unfolded and the layers of the onion get peeled back and there's more and more and more and more to it with Mm -hmm. markers and tokens and such. That film is particularly good Mm -hmm. at finding unique places to fight in and making that matter in not a set piece kind of way, but a natural set piece kind of way. Yeah, I think of that that scene where he's fighting like the, the German guy at the Berlin nightclub and it's just wet and it's just water everywhere and techno and the lights and it's just stylistically just so impressive yep. you, you just get into it it's just that that film just sucks you in and it's nearly three hours long but it goes by so quickly mm-hmm. so yeah that's what prompted me to do this so if you ever have any films that you want to kind of put a little tiny spotlight on whether good or bad how about we do that what if you see something and it's like ah, i don't know about that one anymore okay um so it can go either way so we don't have to do it every week just whenever it comes up Blurt it out. Well, that's a good choice. All right, cool. Well, Matt, we're not going to have nothing to talk about today, so (laughs) let's uh, get into our flight question. So uh, now that we're in September, you know, the summer box office movie season's kind of done. And even if there are some stragglers, the kind of the, the top spots have been fairly solidified for a while now. Yeah. Um, so time to revisit our predictions. There's a bottle on the line here. Mm-hmm. So uh, you'd have to go back to our Guardians of the Galaxy episode to listen to the full soundbite of what our picks were. But I did... Uh, the service of us of going back and rewriting our top five picks here. So uh, let me read ours and then I'll read the actuals. How does that sound? Okay. Okay. So your top five, you had the flash at number five. You had elemental at four Spidey across the spider verse at three dial of destiny at two and Oppenheimer at one. Mm-hmm. I had the flash at five Spidey Spidey verse at four guardians volume three at three. The Little Mermaid at two and Dial of Destiny at one. Let's read what it actually was. If I lose this based on The Little Mermaid, yeah. I'm going to be so pissed. I don't know. It's going to be close. All right. Okay. So coming in at the official domestic, I love box office mojo. Like you yeah. can uh, filter by season, by month, by holiday. So we have season 2023. Here's your top five. At number one, Barbie, $612 million. Number two, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse at $381 million. And these are domestic totals. Guardians Volume 3 at $358 million. 
Oppenheimer at $310 million. And number five, The Little Mermaid at $298 million. So that's your top five of the five, Matt. You had uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and Oppenheimer. You had two. Dial of Destiny? Dial of Destiny is seven. Seven, okay. Uh, And me, I had Spidey Across the Spider-Verse, Guardians 3, and Little Mermaid maybe pulling it out for me. Unbelievable. (laughs) All right. Lost by one, but let's talk about it a little bit. What's the surprises? Did we learn any lessons? Kind of summer box office in a nutshell here. No, I don't think we did because (laughs) I think what we can say is summer drama can Mm -hmm. still win, but then summer popcorn still beats it. Mm -hmm. And what I—that's not fair for Barbie. Yeah, I—I think a lot of people went to Barbie, and if anybody saw that film when it was in its heyday and getting a good run, there were plenty of groups of clad, uh, pink-clad moviegoers to go and appreciate the joy of Barbie. But the truth for me is. That's a far more cerebral film than I think a lot of people wanted to give it credit for, especially those ones that were going in pink. They didn't go there for the play on male and female that Barbie sort of laid out. Sure, yeah. That being said, Mm -hmm. those people that went there for that, Mm -hmm. which is a fine reason to go see a movie just to celebrate Barbie, that won the summer. Yeah. They went to see it a couple times, didn't they? At least. Yeah. So... I guess my takeaway is what did we learn? Drama can win and yeah. so can popcorn. Yeah. That, uh, or gloss. Like what like film and movies can both win in the same summer. Yeah, I want to speak on the whole Barbenheimer phenomenon because it is truly un- a mm-hmm. unique thing in summer blockbuster extravaganza. And it's primarily the reason I didn't have either of them in my top five. I think they would have made my top ten for sure. If we expanded our list that they're they're in the the six through ten. Um but History tells me you release two big movies on the same day like that. They cannibalize each other. They kind of eat away each other's audience, and they're both kind of lukewarm middling returns where I thought this other slate had other kind of room around it to expand and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I could not have been more wrong, right? Yeah. It actually worked the opposite. It actually got people to go get in on the phenomenon. The Barbie people going to see Oppenheimer, the Oppenheimer people going to check, trying to see him in the same day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that whole thing. And I think the lesson of that is, I don't know if we need more of that or if this was just a unique once-in-a-lifetime event that we were able to witness, but I don't know. There, There is something to alternative programming, right? It was like if you have one thing for one demographic and if Oppenheimer is speaking more to your boomers and older crowd, a little more male-heavy audience, maybe there is room for both on a given weekend. Yeah. But history tells us no. No. Yeah. The other thing, too, that's interesting is as much as we've talked about maybe the saturation with sequels and prequels, yeah. the summer also gave a snapshot into how both of those can work as well. Mm-hmm. Dell Destiny did not perform as well as I know that the powers that be would like it to perform. Oh yeah, And definitely. hopefully we put Indy to bed now. Yeah. That being said, mm-hmm. Reheated Little Mermaid won the day for you and checked in at what, four overall? Number four, number five overall? Five, almost 300 mil. So that also kind of flies in the face of you need new material or maybe you don't need new material. So the summer's weird, right? And, and sort and, of all over the map. And superhero. We have two superheroes in the top five, a Guardians and Spider-Man. And one that didn't make the top five. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, uh, one. let's wrap up Oppenheimer real quick. And we did yeah. that episode, fantastic episode, fantastic watch. Go check out Oppenheimer again. Uh, second highest grossing worldwide R-rated film of all time, only behind Joker. 
uh, it's about to cross nine hundred million dollars worldwide. I would could never have predicted that a film like that could pull in those type of numbers. Yeah, not directed by James Cameron, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, but it was directed by one Mister Christopher Nolan, and the legs on Oppenheimer is maybe my biggest surprise. I knew he had it in him, but uh, I just didn't know that the appetite was there for it. Summer twenty twenty three was like I need no, I need this. Right. So. I want to talk about the three biggest disappointments of the summer uh, and just talk about, you know, financially what that was. So you mentioned one of them, The Flash. <laughs> uh, uh, I think just eked in, where is Flash? Any Flash is at number 12 at $108 million domestically. Uh, I think The Flash is going on record as being $200 million loss, the biggest uh, comic book property box office loss of all time. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, so not the safe bet tapping into that nostalgia that, you know, certainly got me in the seat seeing Mm -hmm. Keaton again, but you know, all the other cameos and whatnots, people didn't care. Nope. And maybe it was the Ezra Miller nonsense. Uh, maybe it was, uh, you know, bad word of mouth. You know, I spoke plenty on how just kind of shittily the movie kind of looked like from top to bottom. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that. Oh, and then you mentioned another one, Dial of Destiny. Dial of Destiny is going to carry a $100 million loss and a nearly almost $300 million budget. And then another one that I think you and I both really liked, uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, very entertaining film. Yeah. $300 million production budget is going to carry a $100 million loss going into the year. Matt, why are we spending so much making these movies? Why does Mission Impossible cost almost $200 million more than Oppenheimer? It's a really good question. There's a lot of travel in it, which certainly doesn't help. But I guess the bigger question is, does star power matter? Well, I think it did last summer. I mean, Because it doesn't seem like it does this summer. Yeah, I think Tom Cruise got us in the seats last summer, and I think they were hoping for like a a Maverick redo with that film. Well, Cillian Murphy and Margot Robbie, which by are no means small actors, Mm -hmm. beat Harrison Ford and Tom Cruise handily this summer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And... I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. If I'm a product, if I'm in production, if I'm a, on set at Universal mm-hmm. or a large studio, and I'm looking at this, I guess it doesn't matter now because wink, wink, nothing's being shot right now. Yeah, wink, wink. Although I'm seeing returns all the time that shit's still being done, but it's on the DL. But <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's just say it's not, and no one's acting. Wink, wink. Yeah, I'll be being all shady about it. Yeah. I don't know where you go here. Because Hollywood, Holly, I almost said Holly Whack. Yeah, they are. Yeah, Hollywood is a copycat industry. Mm-hmm. What are you copying? Mm-hmm. Because for as much as Barbie might have slayed, yeah. and so we're looking at toys. Oh, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did not. Yeah. So there's... Yeah, what are, where's the turtles? They're there at number 13. Okay, but yeah. not great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, finished behind... Um, Elemental, which Pixar's in trouble dude, too. Yeah, what well, do Pixar used to be in the top three every year? Your Toy Stories, your Incredibles, like this has been a couple of you because you were all in on Lightyear last summer too, and that kind of laid an egg as well. I'm so. not making that mistake next summer. Okay, good. Yeah, we got to change up our strategies. <laughs> I think the one thing that Barbie and Oppenheimer both offer is, although it's a recognized property, yeah. It's a brand new story that we haven't been told before. Yeah, it felt fresh. Is the takeaway from this summer mm-hmm. as simple as story matters the most? Sure. I can, I can take away that. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Story matters. Spectacle still matters. Large format still matter. I mean, I, I think those two films kind of gave us a reason to 
go park it in in front of a screen and just kind of let it happen, right? The one that's the most disappointing for me. Yeah. Dial of Destiny. Well, no, <laughs> I mean, that is because yeah. of the love for Indy. Yeah. And that was my number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With what they've set up and where it's not going to go, mm-hmm. or, or maybe is not going to go, is Transformers. Yeah. Have, did you see it yet? Not yet. It's on It's on uh, Paramount Plus. It's got a really, really great end. And we've talked about the end, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I guess I'll give it away here. Um, we're going to cover that film at some point here, too. But yeah, I guess skip ahead 20 seconds if you don't want to hear the yeah. cool reveal. So at the end of the film a business card is passed from government official to protagonist of Transformers. Mm -hmm. And on the back of it, it says G.I. Joe. Then the Russo brothers came out and said, we're building a Joe-verse. Yeah, (laughs) a a Hasbro-verse. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, let's go. That sounds great. Because I thought the two G.I. Joe opportunities earlier were Mm -hmm. really misses that didn't need to be misses. Yeah, pretty weak, yeah. But with those numbers, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's hard to like, are people going to invest in this? Are we going to spend another $200 million to dive all in again? Yeah, that checked in at number nine at 167 to earned. And what did it cost to make? I can't even see that. Where is it? Nine. Which one? It's nine. Do we got production budget? Opened at $61 million, which is not terrible. This used to have the, the budget of what these things would cost. Made one fifty seven domestically and two eight or four thirty eight worldwide. So I mean, it's not amazing, but you that, know. that might have made a little bit of money. Yeah, I can't imagine that was a four hundred thousand or four hundred million dollar film. You never know nowadays because it's just these totals get get higher. But do you have a biggest disappointment of the summer other than India? And that's that's obvious. But I mean, oh, I, the, the the Flash for sure. Yeah, like I thought I thought that was kind of the jumping off point to DC kind of taking another step foot for, or forward where Marvels were just so fatigued with their offerings and could care less. I thought that was a good opportunity for them to course correct with something, the no way home DC version. And it kind of just wasn't that it was just kind of weak and mad across the board. And uh, yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty disappointed by that one. Well, kind of putting a bow on this is the next entry that's coming, which would be the Marvels, which I, I don't even think I'm going to see that yeah, film. Yeah. And then DC released on Thursday, Aquaman, mm-hmm. which we've forecasted that a little bit on the show. We talked a little bit about the trench and that's essentially these sea like alien monsters that come up from the depths of God only knows where the Aquaman has to fight off to take over Atlantis. Mm-hmm. I guess that got punted and this is just Aquaman versus Manta, but it's dad Aquaman to start off. So, Again, we talked about this before. Where does DC go and James Gunn's ownership in the DC verse may not be off to the best start. Flash, as you said, was a colossal flop. I can't see this movie, this being Aquaman, killing. So he's going to have strike one and strike two before he ever gets his hands on his own property. Sure. Yeah, and that's Superman's the next the next one, right? His redo of Superman, and then you have the second Matt Reeves Batman. 2025, I think those are both coming out. So we shall see. We yeah. we never talk about superheroes on the show, so I don't think we'll ever have a platform to really talk about those movies, right? No. <laughs> well, congratulations to your win. Thank you. I, I appreciate you're two it. And oh, or maybe you might be three and oh. Uh, no, I think we've, we've done it at least. Oh, we didn't have the COVID summers, right? So we've done it for, no, you won last summer for sure. And okay. Maverick was the one that really took you across the finish line on All that right. one. So. 
Uh, well, gee, I'll have to buy us a nice bottle. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. Everybody's it'll go, a winner. It'll go good with this uh, next cast that uh, will unveil at, at the very end here. It will. But hey, we got a ton to talk about. Let's dive feet first into the infinity pool with our review breakdown. Someone's making a statement. One of the locals, I guess. What do you think he's trying to say? He's saying that he wants to put a long knife right through her. And after you die, he'll hang your body at the airport to scare off the other tourists. Seems a bit extreme. The tokens are a melodramatic people. I loved your book. Sorry? You're James Foster. I loved your book. <laughs> Sorry, is that good? I don't mean oh, no. to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, it, uh, thank you. Thank you. It's just, um, not a lot of people read my book. I'm Gabby Bauer. Well, I'm, I'm James, James Foster. Foster. <laughs> Alvin! This is James Foster. Hi, nice to meet you. Al bon uh, Pleasure. He wrote a book that I love, The Variable Sheath. Oh. Oh, yeah, I remember. I thought it was brilliant. Yes. <laughs> James, do you think I could convince you to join us for dinner this evening? I've been seeing you around the resort for a few days now, and I would love to get to know you. We have a reservation tonight at Yang's. Run, James. <laughs> or run, or maybe... To her, away from her. Yeah, That's maybe. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, it's maybe this is exactly what you needed. But mm, yeah, yeah, we start out with uh, our two two characters here, James, novelist James Foster and his wife, M. Emily, uh, as they kind of peruse this resort town in Litoka. Uh, Tolka, yeah. And I, I just love how Brandon Cronenberg now just really sets up these two with very little, which is... You know, waking up in the morning, going to the, get the 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 resort buffet. And eh, what do you want to do? I don't want to go there for dinner. Like he's like, what do do that Chinese place uh, inland? He's like, ah, oh, if I ate there again, I don't know if I could take another in town uh, meal. Which is exactly where they end up with with this with this couple here. And they just seem to be just treading water. These two, like they don't hate each other, but like I, it's hard to say that these two are like madly in love with each other. Here, just looking bored at this resort, just kind of, you know, passing time. And it's not until these other, this other two couple, uh, Gabby and Albin, are introduced that things start to get a little more exciting. And it starts out with this thing, which is just brushing his ego, right? Mm -hmm. Here's this semi, you know, self-important novelist who's looking for a new great idea here to expand, you know, his ever-expansive bibliography of one. Uh, and he finally runs into someone that, you know, recognizes him and is saying, I loved your book. You know, when are you going to write another one? Like what's going on there? And we're planting the seeds for some very interesting character dynamics, especially in the jealousy department. M is his wife. And I think she's hesitant to want to befriend this couple. Yeah. And me looking at that through her eyes at the beginning it was sort of feeling a little too swingery like mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. as her interpretation of, sure. of that character. Yeah. She never directly comes out and puts Gabby on blast and says, get off my man. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think the seduction, which if that's what we want to call it of James is entirely orchestrated Mm -hmm. with M's consideration. The trick though is for, for Gabby incorporated (laughs) Gabby's merry band of, of, uh, clones. Mm -hmm. Do we want to involve M completely or do we want to dissuade M from wanting to stick around? Yeah, I think we want to slowly remove her from the equation. I think so too because I think she serves as James's moral compass. Yeah. And that's a really interesting statement on this film for me. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is you set it up perfectly. The two of them together seem to be a little bit in a rut. Yeah. of domestic life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this scene that opens up when the the movie opens on black and it's voiced over with the two of them in bed. And at first I thought it was Mm post-coital. That felt like a very Brandon Cronenberg playing in the, not with sex as the visual medium, but the after effects of sex when it's finished. And that's a lot, that's certainly in this film too. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it's not that it's the daily grind of getting up in the morning and going through that innocuous conversation that we all have that is just even on vacation still present. Yeah. Where are we going to eat? Mm-hmm. What were you saying? And they're not at each other. Yeah. It's just this sort of humdrum bullshit. Your brain can't feed on sand or whatever that conversation is. And he's like, mm-hmm. no, I asked you what you wanted for breakfast. Yeah. No, you didn't. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, and you're just like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And then you expect the curtain to come up and therefore they fade in to happen. And they just look like an old married couple. Yeah. And that statement right away is whammo in your face. Even on vacation, these two people are stuck in a rut. Mm -hmm. So then with that, the question is, is this movie going to be about breaking the boredom and monotony? And I guess with the way it ends and we'll get there, you can take that. But I don't even know if that, I mean, that is addressed. Sure. I don't know if that's the point of this film either. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's a really interesting premise because you look at this couple and through the uh, the camera on the silver screen, this couple shouldn't be struggling like us everyday Joe struggles. Mm-hmm. He's beautiful. She's beautiful. They're in paradise. Yeah. There's no kids. And you know what struck me the most about the whole thing, Jesse? Yeah. They woke up clothed. Yeah. To me, that was such a statement that they went to bed in their same old Shantate, tired clothes. Yeah. Don't you, like, on vacation. And, and this for, doesn't happen on my vacation either. Yeah, ready for, like, yeah, day 10 of, ah, uh, here we go again. Yeah, it's like. But I expect them to wake up with, like, we open and there's underwear on the floor and there's a bottle of wine on the counter and they're both down to the pinks, naked. Mm-hmm. She's in his arms. It's not happening. Yeah. Well, Whatever it is, is yeah. not happening. Or it being the same thing at home keeps happening. Yeah, and from his professional perspective, this writer who's in a writer's block rut, hasn't written a book in six years, can't think of an idea, doesn't know an idea, and he's comfortable writing the financial coattails of his wife that comes from money, right? Uh, so he's just okay. He's just okay with life. And if something should strike him or an idea or an experience, maybe that'll kickstart his engines uh, to get things in gear. And I think that is, that's Gabby as, you know, uh, Mia Goth is really interesting and I think really good in this film. And she's kind of been making a name for herself in the horror space. She was in the remake of Suspiria. 
Mm. Uh, she was in that movie with Dane DeHaan, A Cure for Wellness. Do you remember that film? Yeah, uh, I didn't see it, but yes, I remember the title. She was in the the two slasher films uh, that came out last year, X and Pearl. Mia Goth, go get it, babe. Yeah, now it's kind of a mini horror queen right now. And I don't know if I've ever been like more attracted and horrified by one person's visage than I am by her. Like I can't, I can't figure this this woman out. Brother, it's because she looks like a young Betty Davis. Exactly. Yeah, she's got the yeah, the Betty Davis effect going on here. So at times when she turns on that seductive charm, it's just like, whoo, man, I'm locked in. Mm-hmm. And then when she like switches and like has this like kind of like femme fatale like glare, mm-hmm. watch out because like I don't want any part of that war path right there. So. uh yeah, it's tantalizing at first. Just the way she's just kind of like sucking on the chopsticks as she's telling this pathetic job that she has of being a great actress at failing, which is failing in the commercials to better sell the products. And it's just so like she wants to call James pathetic for that's a pretty pathetic job, right? It's just that's pretty sad. But Do you know what's weird about that, though? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's carved out a niche in the acting community as the girl that takes the innocuous and unimportant product and highlights the struggles they present on the daily to get people to see Mm -hmm. that there is a product that can fix that. And as much as she's selling that in her day-to-day life, I think she's also selling that on this island at this resort. Yeah. What's difficult his stomach is the conversation that's batted back and forth between the two semi-warring couples, even though they're trying to be cordial with each other, yeah. is what James's relevance is to him and what um, Albin? Gal- yeah, Gabby's relevance is to Albin. Mm-hmm. So essentially they are kind of the same person. Yeah. And I thought the casting of Alexander Skarsgård played perfectly into this. Here's mm-hmm. why. Yeah. By the time that dinner's done, there's a line that M gives that essentially says he's riding the coattails of a reverse gold digger kind of marriage, and essentially it might as well be a charity organization. And as this conversation is unfolding, yeah. this hulking actor physically, mm-hmm. large, 6263, six, mm-hmm. if anybody saw him on True Blood, I mean carved. Yeah feels smaller I'll get you that height <laughs> than the piece of bread that Gabby can't cut at dinner and they're emasculating this titan of physical manlyhood mm-hmm. before him and he seems so content to just take it there was that I, I caught myself doing it when she gave that line like well I'm essentially oh, bordering on six four and a half he's a he's huge <laughs> yeah. he's a big big dude yeah M gives him that line that I forget exactly what it was, but I went, whoo, looked at you and said, whoo, because it was just such a shot to his relevance in the relationship. Just a slap in the face, yeah. She basically said, you know, yeah, he's not only riding daddy's coattails because my dad is a publisher. And so to stick it, this is a little bit later, but essentially to stick it to my dad, I married the biggest loser writer that I could find. Oh my God. Yeah, like, right? He's like, dude, he's in the room. I'm sitting right next to you. Yeah. And then she gave him that line. It's even kind of, which essentially she's saying, and it's even worse than I thought and kind of says it with a smile and they laugh it off. Mm-hmm. Then that next line is, why are you here? And what are you writing next? And he said, it's so pathetic. I came to a resort mm-hmm. for inspiration. So I guess he's comfortable. Yeah. And he's comfortable enough in this, this mediocre existence that he has with this wife that seems to harbor a touch of resentment to him to not change it. Yeah. Gabby plays on that the entire film and she plays on that by saying, show your strength. And she calls out his manlyhood. Yeah. 
multiple times in this movie. But there's trouble in paradise, and I mean that domestically, and I also mean that geographically. On, on location. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, these two, yeah, they're, they're, they're this kind of tit for tat, and it ends on the dance floor here. Just love the way Cranenberg shoots these like slow motion, color haze, fills, drug, alcohol states. Because you feel like you're just like out of whack too as a viewer. And man, these two are just giving each other fuck guys on the dance floor. Man, they're like, it's like, when are we going and when? Right? Yep. <laughs> it's just like, like where, where and when? Uh, and it just it ends. It's just they they bid themselves adieu for the night, and then they're like they're gonna go spend the day with each other the next day. Do you ever wonder in that dance sequence? How many times is this number two or three for you now? Three. Okay. Yeah. With what Gabby tells them at dinner, her acting prowess is, which is taking the pathetically impossible and she can't conquer them and making them seem relevant with the use of an aid. She is putting herself mm-hmm. in the role of the items that she shucks on nine o'clock television commercials of the thing. Because he's the impossible, yeah. the insignificant that can't be conquered. Mm-hmm. And she's in the role of the bread cutter that wouldn't you that couldn't that could do what the bread knife at the dinner table couldn't do on that little silly silly roll. Mm-hmm. Does he ever snap on that? Does I don't, he, I does, don't think so. No. And is it because her intent, her intentions early, are actually to bed this man, which I actually don't think her husband would care about. Obviously, no, he yeah. doesn't. A very open relationship, indeed. <laughs> or is it all part of the setup? I don't know. It could either go. It could. This could just the whole thing could just be the setup experiment. Rich people having a gas, right? Which I think was what it ultimately boils down to in the end, which is just some steam. Yeah. Dude, rich people suck. (laughs) Like, uh, but we'll get into that. But no, I think that's an interesting part to bring up with him. Uh, I think Skarsgård's pretty good in this movie too. And yeah, yeah, I got to talk about him again because I wrote this man off completely after the legend of Tarzan. You want to talk about a stale box office return on that movie. No charisma, just, and the, the, that, just everything is just on the screen. It's just it's not good. But between this, the Northman, uh, that kind of little run he had on Big Little Lies, dude, this guy can act. Yeah. And you know, given the the right roles, I kind of like that he's kind of dabbling into the weird. Like as as an actor, it's like this is a weird movie to be in, right? <laughs> he like, had about the same kind of misfortune or misstep that Joel Kinnaman did with oh, RoboCop. Oh, that's a good comparison. He's found himself again, though. Mm-hmm. And I'll give him credit because about the time he's finding himself and he is ready to hit that role as lead man. He's got the chops. He's yeah. big. He's good looking. All of those things has some talent. Yeah. To put that aside for a minute mm-hmm. and maybe gamble on the same thing like Cillian Murphy might do with the young Nolan or yeah. a guy Pierce, even though it didn't quite go that way with got with Nolan. Yeah. If I can show this director that he can work with me, I think there's something there. Yeah. And I felt the whole time he found the Northman the way Kinnaman is still searching for whatever comeback vehicle there's because that guy's also big and I think is wickedly talented. And yeah. if anybody doubts, go back and watch The Killing. Yeah. But he hasn't found that that property yet. Skarsgård, though, has the name that helps. Mm-hmm. But Jesse, he's a property, a true away, tentpole property or two away from really taking off. This is not that. <laughs> yeah, no, this is... This is not that. But this shows the acting chops. And maybe from his perspective as an actor, maybe he just wants to have a little fun with these roles, get get a little weird and strange with it. I was like, yeah. dude, if Lynch was still making a movie, oh, yeah. he, he'd put him in his next thing, right? Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just think this is a good property for him. This is an interesting playground for actors to play in, but like, it's hard to read what's coming up on page. Oh, she gives me a hand job and want to take that role, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, let's talk about that for a let's minute. Let's talk about that. So they go spend the day with each other, at, like picnic on the Grecian beach or whatever. Well, the, this country, as far as I know, is just entirely fictional. It's the name's kind of gibberish. I don't know if you caught a bit of like the the language or like just the writing, but it looks like Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't look like any type of language I've ever seen. Yeah. So that's where the science fiction piece is going to come in this like fictitious resort town that we're in. That's okay on the resort side, but like completely derelict and demilitarized outside of that. And they warned the tourists, don't go off site. Uh, it's bad news out there. So they're hanging out, kind of having, you know, a, just a drunk, a, a wine drunken afternoon with cooking on the beach. It's, it's like a good, good afternoon. And he goes to take a leak mm-hmm. and she comes up behind him. He, you know, he finishes maybe. Yeah. Yeah, he might be mid pee when she starts going and just starts giving him a handy uh, from behind. And with, so, Matt, when I saw this movie first, yeah, I went like early, like like granny hours, mm-hmm. like nine o'clock to see this movie. Man, I didn't think I was going to be seeing a hand job at nine thirty on a Sunday morning. Yeah, no way. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. And then, like, you're just like, okay, like, how much? Where are we going? Are we like, is are we really going there as a film? And the uncut version, oh yeah, uh, they show everything. We get a little X, triple X rated for a second, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you, you even see the finish. <laughs> yeah, she finishes him off, and it's right there in a very Cronenberg family-like moment. Yeah. Where, here's the difference. boy, son. <laughs> yeah, dad would be proud. <laughs> he would. What's odd about that is I didn't think he barely finished, and if he did finish, there was still some dew that he had to tap off, mm-hmm. off the lily. Yeah. And... Uh, this is gross, but I almost wonder if she maybe used that as some lubrication. Oh, gross. Because <laughs> well, did, did you yeah, notice when we went yeah. straight on to the pud? Yeah. It it was, <laughs> it was lubricant and it wasn't with semen. Yeah, yeah. So this chick is not just down. This chick is down and dirty. She's down, down. Down, down. And what's the most interesting part about this is... He doesn't try to stop her at any point, like, and just be like, uh, uh, this is weird. He's like stunned and then just kind of goes with it. Mm-hmm. So and it, she finishes him off in about 25 seconds. I know. Yeah. That's just like, this is the quickest handy I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, but the, it's more evocative of, you know, the relationship he has with them, which is, man, they, these two probably maybe haven't had sex while they've been on vacation. It's so cold and icy. Yeah. And so, you know, the right thing to do would be like, uh, stop, like, you know, like that. Or, and he's just like, you know what? Everything's already messed up. I'm on vacation. I'm pretty drunk and hammered. Let's see where this goes. Mm-hmm. And it just leaves him in this stock, a shock, st- stunned state. And as the audience, I think we're more shocked of just like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> can't believe we just watched that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, this is going to be that type of movie, right? <laughs> pretty strong statement. It is. I think we're like 16, 15 minutes in at this point, And you're just like, if you were kind of like, Nodding off, which I don't think the movie is really going to do that to you. This is going to perk you up right away. Mm-hmm. So they go home. They're all still a little drunk. They're all a little sleepy. Uh, uh, James Skarsgård is going to gonna drive. And, dude, he barrels into this pedestrian, obliterates this man. Mm-hmm. And here's the aftermath of that. <laughs> Fuck, James. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> I couldn't see him. I couldn't see him. I have to call someone. Call the Call the resort. I'll call a consulate. Nobody will find us. How do you call the police? No police. Get back in the car. We're not calling the police. 
Wait. Do you know anything about jail in Atoka? This isn't a civilized country. It's brutal and it's filthy. We're not getting picked up for this. Get back in the car now. It was an accident. She's right. It's very dangerous for us now. Wait, James, what do you think's going to happen to you? You'll be raped by police tonight and tomorrow they'll find your body. That's how it works with these animals. I'm not doing that. You get back in the car, we drive, you go to bed. Alvin and I will deal with Mr. Fresh directly in the morning. Now. Pretty chaotic, right? Yeah, yeah that's... You know, if I was kind of slightly buzzed and hammered and that happened to me, I'd be like, oh, my God. Like, it just, like, wrecked my whole life. Uh, they, they go back to the resort. How do you get a lick of sleep that night, right? Mm-hmm. You just left a body in the middle of the road. We'll deal with this. Maybe they won't find it, whatever. We, but we can't call the police because they're just as bad as any type of criminal element in this country. Yikes. Yeah. But they can they can only elude the law so long, right? Because they wake up the next morning and there's the police at their door and they're being taken away in a paddy wagon to God knows where, the police department or, or whatever. What do you think of this kind of prem, premise here? I mean, this is, we'll call this our inciting incident, right? I mean, this kind of propels us into what the story's going to actually be about. But uh, I love movies. I love vacations gone awry type of films, whether it's The Ruins or, you know, something like Hostel. I just love when the seemingly normal relaxation uh, getaway turns into high stress anxiety. Mm-hmm. There's just something about that subgenre that I've always really liked. Mm-hmm. And here we are, like, you know, vacation's over. She's packing up the second they get back to the room, right? Yeah. Well, we're leaving. We're like, let's get out of here. Yep. What do you think of that as just kind of our, our jumping off point? Well, Mia seems all too comfortable knowing what she should do here. And whether any of those things she says are actually true about what will happen if they do the right thing, which is go to the justice department about this. Mm -hmm. She sure sells it. And I think it gets her in the position of the film that I think is where the real internal conflict happens between her and James. And that's who's really in charge. Who's really leading this. And for her to lay those consequences out in front of this couple James and and M. Mm-hmm. What choice do you have? They don't abandon the car. Yeah. They don't do anything with the body. She basically just gets them home so that what needs to happen can happen. And that's the next pawn in her little game of chess is played or the next card is laid down on the turn. And that's we need to get James into a position of... Ownership by us, us as a group that we're going to meet not too not too long in the film. Yeah, in a position of criminality, right? So we can manipulate him for nothing really other than enjoyment. Yeah, sick. <laughs> These are sick people, right? How old's, how old is uh, Gabby in this movie? Um, late twenties. Feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah, twenty six, twenty seven. Yeah, and her guy is probably like mid forties to late forties, right? Looking, looking a little longer in the tooth there. But like you said, you know, he's he's got the, the buku bucks and she's probably a struggling actress. So she's putting on a hell of a performance here to, to begin with. But this is where we get going. And this is where I knew I was like, if Matt's going to like this movie, it's going to be once we introduce all of this. Mm-hmm. Under our federal law in Litorka, if you are responsible for the death of a man, including in the case of an avoidable accident, his eldest son should kill you to preserve the family's honor. We do it here in the station on level B. What, 
Cronenberg I know <laughs> what do you think of that what do you once this is introduced like what do you think of that concept very purge like in a way yeah now we have this kind of exactly law abiding playground where we can go be delinquents and be assholes and cause chaos uh, while on vacation and for a price a hefty sum is all that's told to us mm-hmm Instead of you spending your life in prison or uh, capital punishment being put to death for your crimes, for a fee, we'll just double your likeness. It's very relevant today, right, with AI technology. Mm-hmm. We'll double you. That double's going to retain your memories, uh, everything about you, and we'll execute that version instead, and then you get to walk off, and we get some more change in our pocket. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what choice does he have? He doesn't have a choice. It's that or death, right? He can barely process what's being presented Dude, to him. I don't know if I could process this. Yeah. I'd be like, wait a minute. <laughs> I think this is a really, really fine acting performance mm. by Alexander Skarsgård here because he seems completely overwhelmed and unable to process most of it. And it also doesn't help that the detective or chief of police, whoever that is. Yeah. Baron is von Strucker, right? Yeah. yeah. His accent is so heavy. You get about every two and a half out of five words, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. So you get body double, you get hefty pay, and you get execution if otherwise chosen. <laughs> uh, and then here it is, sign. I guess you have no choice, right? You have no choice. The problem, again, though, is this. Your entire existence, physical existence, your mortality, now depends on the man who resents you, your father-in-law, yeah. his money bailing you out again (laughs) of what is certain death you want to talk about emasculating yeah with the highest stakes attached to it he's living it right now in this moment Mm -hmm. so i guess you sign and then you call on this favor this this financial favor from your wife's family because that's who has the money and you've been gravy training it for years anyway so when he goes to that atm just this like, big chunk of money comes out yeah. almost like it's just almost pre-counted. Mm-hmm. Here's your entry fee for doubling. 
It's just. What'd you think about that the first time? I you saw? Did it. you know that's what it was? No, 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 no. When you watch the trailer for this film, you yeah. have, you don't, it's like watching the trailer for Midsommar or Hereditary. You don't know what type of movie this is going to be until mm-hmm. you're actually watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I loved it because now we're playing with. Okay, so I love Vacation's Gonna Rye, mm-hmm. and now I love science fiction based around currency. It's yeah. Total Recall for a fee. You can have the vacation of your dreams for a fee. We can double you, and you can commit. Literally whatever crime you want, as mm-hmm. long as you have the the cash flow to uh, afford it. Yep. That monetization of crime and death is the possibilities are infinite there, and the theoretical breakdown of what that all means, the economic uh, ramifications of all that are also fascinating to me. Uh, yeah, if you this, have enough money, you can get away with murder. Yeah, this is when science fiction really clicks and works for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost so simple. It's like murder. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so he goes through this almost painful, like, you know, they strip him to his nothing. They put a bald cap on him. They open up his mouth like some sort of like dental apparatus, which that would be uncomfortable alone to wear. He steps into some goo and goes through this like two minute process. I think it's probably longer in film time, but to the audience, this really trippy, like doubling procedure. And that part reminded me a lot of Possessor, Mm -hmm. which, you know, in a way we're doubling people in that one, but... That film was all about making a husk to put over someone else, right? Yeah. This is, we're literally duplicating your visage mm-hmm. and putting it over there and come what may be with that idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really tripped out. And like the location of this all, this like kind of like high-tech idea in this like Russian Soviet era, like missile silo looking place. Mm-hmm. It looks like something like out of Stranger Things or something. These these latter seasons of Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. And he goes and sees this double wake up for the first time, birth, right? Mm-hmm. Born. And it's pretty horrifying. And then they go to the execution, right? On level B here. They tie up a double scars guard to this pole. He's watching in the stands with his wife and she tries to get out of it. She's like, I don't have the stomach for that. And he's like, oh, it's not negotiable. If you want to get out of here, you have to, you have to view, which is sick in its own right. And then the family of the, the people that he, uh, the, the man that he killed. So then the eldest son goes up to this thing and holy cow, right? Yeah, holy cow is <laughs> this right. This was you audible gasps from you. He just takes his blade that's like seven to eight inch blade. 20 stabs to the gut? If It just turns it into... Nothing, mush. Raw, open wounds. Yeah. And in typical Cronenberg fashion, I guess we should be surprised with the handy that he got after he finished peeing. Yeah. We see You're it all. Get to see all of we it. see it all. A different type of penetration, right? Yeah. Oh man, yeah. it's it's. And I think we're watching the uncut version on on physical disc. So there might have been a, a few extra stabby stabs in there, mm-hmm. but man, that's that's pretty hard to stomach. Like this is possessor, like beating Sean Bean with that fire poker, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's the moment. It's the moment I've been waiting since February to to like the launching pad of like just what we're gonna talk about. They show Skarsgård horrified. Like, I, I'm watching myself be just gutted to death. And then as the camera just slowly pulls into him, and his wife is beside herself, this, like, horrified look. Rice smile tickles the corner of his smile mouth. Rice smile tickles the corner of his face, and you suddenly realize this guy's into it in a sick, perverted, inspirational, mm-hmm. adrenaline-high way. This is everything he's been looking for for the last couple of years, months, however long this mar- marital rut has been. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Like, the second he does that, you know kind of where this film's going to go, and yet it still surprises you. 
We said earlier, he came to this resort looking for inspiration. Mm-hmm. He's finally found it. It's not the type that he wants to write about, but he has found something to be the metronome in the day-to-day steps of his life. Yeah. What, do you th- what did you think of that? Handled beautifully well. We don't want a big Cheshire cat-styled smile, but we get just the hint. It's so slow and then kind of forms a grin before it cuts to the next scene. And wicked. And wicked. So yeah, and the, uh, I guess we're off, right? We, we are, and the the next scene's fantastic because M wants to go home. Well, before that, you know, they're wrapping up business at the police station, and he gets to take it home. Yeah. Think of it as a souvenir. The urn. The urn of your double. And kind of holds it proudly like he's holding a trophy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's ready to get out of Dodge, and he's like, oh, I can't find my passport. And he's like, like what the hell, James? Like, what's going on? And... We can't stay here anymore. Like, this is weird and strange, and this isn't how people operate here in Latoka or wherever. Uh, you know what I caught, though? Yeah. After they finished this argument about him losing his passport so they can't leave, mm-hmm. is the immediate next scene in is bed. them in bed. Yeah. And it doesn't feel all that much different than probably most of the times they're in bed together. He's behind her. They're spooning, I guess, both wide awake. And there's nothing going on there. And much the similar fashion that there was a disconnect in the communication when the movie opened, we get it again here. She sort of starts in on him. I can't believe you lost it. We're stuck here. And his next thing is, I'm going to go down to the lobby. Now, he's going to go down to the lobby to essentially see if he can find someone to help him solve the problem of the lost passport. That's what, she, that's what he tells her. And it's essentially, ah, give me the room for, let's start it another week. Oh, we'll charge it to your wife then. Yeah. So the same thing is happening. So whether it's a good day, just yeah. a, a normal Tuesday night mm-hmm. at home or on vacation, or a terrible Thursday night on vacation, there's this this continued disconnect between the two of them. You almost wonder, is the tether that keeps her and him together the money because there's no other interest other than I want to be resentful over my father and he has no other recourse and is too fucking lazy to go find someone else that he actually likes. They're both stuck in, a t- yeah. again, like we said, a terrible rut. Yeah. Well, he's comfortable. He's He's got security, right? Financial security. And now he's got daddy's money on top of it to mm-hmm. really explore... In a Jekyll and Hyde kind of way, his dark side. A morbid curiosity. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) very morbid curiosity. Yeah. So he runs into Gabby, Mia Goth in the lobby, and we're just like, oh, man, this is bad news bears. It's like, you're going to go down the path with this chick. It can only end in one way, which is these two have to bang. In bed, yeah. Yeah. We have to see it. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. that they're so, like, into each other in this weird kind of tit for tat. (laughs) But before we do that, we're going to get up to some shenanigans first. And so she takes them back to their room where they're having... Uh, a Scrabble party. Yeah, the get-together of rich people that have all gone through the doubling process. Mm-hmm. And the conversation they have here, I think, is just as interesting as the idea of the doubling itself. <laughs> it's quite all right. She's curious about our new zombie. You don't have to be afraid, James. We are all zombies here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're certainly a flesh-eater. Please. Ladies... Everyone here is a brother, James. You don't understand Litorka yet, but they are very generous with discipline, especially if they know you can pay. (laughs) (laughs) 
very conservative outside the resorts, mm -hmm. very religious. They will kill you for drugs, blasphemy, sodomy. <laughs> Can you guess which one of us was sodomy? Honestly, it's amazing that anyone is still alive in this country. You know, James, I'm glad you could come tonight. It's a great time to have you with us. Dr. Moodin is writing a paper on the Latokan doubling tradition. That's Bob, please. I was wondering if I could ask you a question. While you're still fresh, as they say. <laughs> sure. Do you worry they got the wrong man? Oh, God. That, do, do you think, I mean, looking back on it, that they killed the real James? I mean, that was my biggest fear after my own experience, because you wake up in that little room. For all you know, they could have just swapped you out. Hard to say what happened while you were asleep. So what does it matter? You have to let it go. I let it go. How can I? I'll never know if I'm really myself for as long as I live. Exactly. So who cares? What do you think, James? Do you fear you may have just witnessed your own demise? I can only hope. <laughs> what do you think of that? Well, that opens up a whole nother can of worms, right? You put a tremendous amount of trust into the agency that you hope puts you in the recovery room and the clone or the double in the execution chambers. I guess there are some safety you can take in that the clone wouldn't have access to the money directly. Mm -hmm. So it might be in their best interest to keep the actual live visage of the person going instead of the Ben Riley. Yeah. But it does pose an interesting question. This is not a scrupulous lot you've sidled up with. And as we continually bring up in the film, all that's at stake is your, your existence. And then you get the closing line that you faded out on there, and that's, what if they killed you? Or something along those lines. And he says, I can only hope so. Almost like he wants it, right? Ooh, man. Yeah. Okay, so if you don't have much to live for and you're willing to say it, and I don't think that's just a, a kitschy, cute line at a dinner party that gets a few yucks, I think he's being honest with this group of derelicts that he's with. And how far is this guy willing to go? Mm -hmm. And the answer is all the way. Yeah. Several times. Yeah. Yeah, it's about to start. They're going to go steal some sort of like resort award from like the local constable or whatever the hell mm -hmm. uh, at his little seaside shack right up the road here. But before they do, there's this interesting thing with masks in this in this movie, which is, you know, again, we're hiding the, the real visage when we put these things on. And it's this like island tradition, right? Mm -hmm. So it speaks a little into this idea is, you know, if we put these masks on, you know, where's the real person? Where are they at? And that's the convert what he brings up there. Like, are you sure that's the real you or are you the real you? Yeah. And we'll never know. Yeah. Uh, and man, these things are grotesque. They're selling them at the gift shop for ten ninety nine each. And you and I were like, no, thank you. <laughs> you know which one? The grotesque one that I like the most is the one that's split into two faces. Yeah. It's almost like he's paying homage to Possessor itself. Yeah. Yeah. But these masks are not pleasant. They're not pretty. They're hideous. Yeah, they're gross. And what I thought was interesting is it they put them on when they begin this heist to steal this metal, although we're going to find this, what seems to be presented as just a mischievous act is far more deadly. Yeah, than let's maybe kill this guy. Let's steal his booze. Let's, you know, 
have some fun with his ladies. Uh, yeah, it turns into it gets a lot sinister uh, really, really quickly. Why wear the mask if you yeah. want to get caught? Mm-hmm. Because then they can give you the option of getting doubled or getting killed. So then you can put another double in, and that's the fun is getting away with it. Why the mask? Playing dress up almost like it's mm-hmm. it's bordering on just like almost like playing house, right? Well, do you remember what I told you at the beginning of the film? This movie's giving me vibes of. Uh, Wicker Man. I felt so Wicker Man to me. Mm -hmm. Culty. Yes, exactly. You got it. Yeah. This weird, fucked up cult of cloning and murder and money. And here's the thing, Jesse. Mm -hmm. I think Brandon Cronenberg now two times in for me is really, really smart. And this is leading to a conversation we also had on Couch that I want to have with you in a minute. Yeah. Is this just a simple acknowledgement in Brandon Cronenberg's world? of the cult that they've already been part of. Like you can put a mask on it and be cult of this, be part of this murder cult, Mm -hmm. but aren't they part of this domestic suburban cult anyway? Yeah. The upper class cult, the up Uber upper class, right? Well, I hope you have the sound when we get out of the movie and we're going home on the bus and they're having those conversations of just the innocuous events that need to happen about homework and lunches and shit. When we get home, I had that for the very end of the episode. Yeah. That was so cult-like to me. And what was strange about that is, what well, we'll get to it later, how he was positioned in the bus compared to the rest of the people. Yeah. But this is, we're going to put on these masks that are ugly to hide who we are, even though we want to be found, because it's the physical acknowledgement that we're all part of the subject group that adheres to like these four principles. And the only way out is not through anything creative because you think the writer would be, let's try here, let's try this new food, let's go do this, let's go do that. It's these debaucherous, terrible, almost lazy. Mm-hmm. It's easy to pull off lazy, Jesse, and criminality. Let's yeah. go steal hubcaps, let's go steal yeah. this. Yeah. There's nothing creative about what they do and you're starting to get to the point of like, this group is so hateable, mm-hmm. but the group is hateable because they are subscribers to the same lives that most of us have all the time. Brandon Cronenberg is making a statement and it's, do you all realize the ruts that you're trapped in? Yeah, the monotony of everyday life. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. to make that statement in this wild spec story mm-hmm. gets to the question that I wanted to get to. Yeah, ready to do it? Yeah, let's do it. Is he better? And two films is hard to compare to Cronenberg's yeah. full filmography, but is the potential through two films and what we've seen when he's good to surpass Dad as a filmmaker? He's on his way. It's, I think the evidence, the evidence is there. And like you, I think I need a little bit more sample size before I could do like a true comparison. But these two ideas have been phenomenal. Knockout science fiction, horror ideas that are high concept and done brutally that feed into the body horror that dad was so good at in a very taboo-ish way of some of the stuff we're seeing. Maybe we shouldn't be seeing that. Uh, Yeah, he's, he's, there it's he's such an interesting voice and at the same time his films they don't feel like copycats of his dad's work like the yeah. st- stylistically they could not be more two different uh visionaries uh but the ideas like and and Cronenberg was there too with you know with like the brood and rabbit and, you know there's there's high conceptness in some of his ideas and maybe he digs a little bit more for the psychological and here he's he's really heavy handed with uh, the thematic imagery of voyeurism in in uh, uh, 
possessor. Remember, you know, they watched the monitors uh, see what kind of blinds you had and everything. Mm-hmm. The voyeuristic element, you know, the husk of your former self and now doubling debauchery, money, economics. Like these are big ideas and you don't really see those in these types of genre movies uh, like this. But I think he's he's doing a fantastic job at it. Two, two, this is, I think, his third film, of his uh, first film I've never seen. Uh, might have to check it out. But where do you stand? Where, where, where's your feeling? Where's your Brandon Cronenberg barometer right now? Yeah, I think it is. I, th- I, I think it's in the same spot yours is. Again, two films, hard to say with yeah. the vast filmography and, and success that Dad had. I think conceptually, the commentary he makes on the social norms exceeds Dad's. Mm-hmm. I think Dad is willing, I don't even know if I'm willing to say, I was going to say I think Dad might be willing to go further with the body than Son is, but no, we just had his, his he just had Alexander Skarsgård get jacked off in real time. Yeah. Dad's willing to so go, that's not go, true. go as far as the Canadian government lets him. Okay, that, that's it. <laughs> I was watching this thinking like, there's no way this is NC 17. There's no way. Yeah. So well, this cut we watched probably was for sure. Yeah. Uh, toned down a tad and it was still pretty hard hitting in the theater. Even the, so between the post urination scene, mm-hmm. the first execution scene, those two alone right there are playing in rabid space mm-hmm. uh, are playing in brood space. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So do I think he's Yes. I think by the time he's done, he'll be better than dad. Yeah. I if think he, if he, the, the, the consistency and quality and the ideas keep expanding from this part right here. Uh, absolutely. He's got a chance to, cause I've loved both of these films. Yeah. I mean, we haven't gotten to the ratings yet, but, and we got a little bit more chunk of film to talk about, but it's impressive. It's quite impressive so far. Let me ask you another one. Yeah. Forecasting two young ones that we think have very bright futures mm-hmm. in front of them. In 10 years, when we're in year 15 of this podcast, yeah, yeah, warrior, yeah, we'll see about that. But anyway, who will we say did better, Astor or Cronenberg? Because they're, they're a little bit different, but they're in a similar space. Sure. Who do you want? Who do you want to see a film from more next? Well, I haven't seen Astor's newest one, the Joaquin Phoenix Bow is Afraid. I still want to check mm-hmm. that out, but I've loved Midsommar and mm-hmm. I loved Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Like those, that's top shelf films right there. But man, I also really loved Possessor mm-hmm. and I really like this movie. So I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say, but don't be surprised if Brandon Cronenberg surpasses the prowess of Ari Aster uh, at some point down the line there. The, the advantage that I think Cronenberg has to Aster is I think Aster's films have been marketed harder. Yeah. The studios have That's put fair. more money behind them. Mm-hmm. So I think with that comes an expectation mm-hmm. and some restraint that they're going to force you because they can't let you go all the way to the stabbing in the stomach and the, you know, jerking the guy off after he finishes peeing. Yeah. And there might be a couple of things that could be better with Aster due to that mm-hmm. um, fealty that he owes the production studio where Cronenberg working with neon pretty independent, but successful independent, I think gets a little bit more runway to test the limits of what the audience will, yeah. will endure. And I think Aster's had a little bit more star power in his film uh, for sure. But if Cronenberg gets to play like, his next movie, if it's like Ryan Gosling and Florence Pugh and Brandon Cronenberg's whatever the hell, yeah, now people are going to pay extra close attention. That's fair. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll have to see. We'll come back to that assessment. But 
there's really great evidence here that this is, you know, a filmmaker that's got a lot of dad's tendencies, but he's entirely in his own, his own lane right now. Mm-hmm. I've been very impressed so far. Yeah, we need to do Bo's Afraid. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got to do the whole Aster thing, but yeah. we'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, yeah, so he, the, this guy, this and this guy that's like naked from the bottom half down, lower abdomen. <laughs> what in the world yeah, was you, that? You were pretty horrified by that. Oosh. Uh, but you know, uh, Albin gets shot in this kind of like robbery gone awry. They try and escape, uh, but it's kind of all for naught. They get arrested again for you know all this debauchery, uh, and they go watch their executions again. And it's you know a little bit more jovial this time out. Dungeons. I didn't think we had it in it. Beautiful. Mm. So the first time he goes, you know, he's kind of more mortified and horrified before it turns to that smile. And this time, it's like performance art theater at this point. They're like, oh, wow, what a performance you're double put on. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of think it's going to go a little differently because Baron von Strucker comes in. He's like, today I'm going to set an example with you guys. And it's just, you know, part of his spiel, right? And, and and we don't see the scene where the the doubles take the places, but it's a nice reveal when they're just like, oh, man, great job. Yep. I couldn't have died better. <laughs> yeah, look at me. I put up a good fight there. Yeah. Oh, man, it's sickness. Like, now we're dealing with really sick people, and James is right thrust in the middle of it. So it's like, it, when is he going to meet a threshold? Is he ever going to get uncomfortable with this? At this point, M has said, bye-bye, I'm going back home, come home whenever, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Just, I don't care. Maybe I'll be there when you are when you get there. Maybe not. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And he's just so lukewarm on it. So there he goes. He's on the beach smoking a stogie with the mask on, just like, yeah, whatever. Like, just like, whatever this is. And we finally get the moment you and I have been waiting for. We're just like, when, is these, when are these two going to get it on? Because they're just dancing all around it. Yep. We know this is going to kind of propel us into something otherworldly strange strange here in a bit but it finally happens and it's very it's very sensual it's done really well i like that it starts like raining on them because you know let's get all the fluids going right now right yep she takes him back to her villa gone uh uh, hotel room and they they like smoke this they inhale this like root drug (laughs) oh man like getting involved with weird people here let's smoke a root here and he's like oh that's awful he's like oh you get used to it and she takes like a 20 second hoof uh and then they start going at it and then what transpires is one of the most unique sex scenes i think i've ever seen on screen yeah uh in terms of its artistic uh portrayal so very, it's very colorful. It's very kind of fragmented. You, you're kind of like looking in between. Like it's almost like watching a scrambled television channel. Yeah, <laughs> you're like trying yeah. to like. Oh, I think I see a boob. I think I see a penis. And then you think you see insertion, internal, interior uh, vagina, vagina penis is going. It's, mm-hmm. It gets weird. Yeah. 
and beautiful she, and horrific at the same time. Yeah, yeah. She's riding him. It, it's 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 sexy, and then it turns horrific because then she's like got the mask on, and then it kind of just looks like her skin at some points. Everyone's like, you can't make heads or tails of body parts. Yeah, you can't tell who's bent over and who's behind <laughs> and who's. It's the whole thing just is a mass of naked flesh. Yeah, and he's just so drugged out in this point, and then she starts Mia Goth, uh, Gabby starts breastfeeding the 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 participants. Yeah. And then so like, okay, if that wasn't like just intense enough, we wake up the next morning post-coital at the buffet and dude, Skarsgård's just in full buffoon mode right now, spitting maraschino cherry pits at the other tourists. Uh, Cherry juice running down his chin. Oh yeah, like did they even bother putting on their clothes? Yeah, he looked like Emperor Nero right there. Yeah, right. That's what I thought too. It looks like the vomitorium and this is Nero right before. They are pushing the envelopes and with every disgusting asshole move, that Skarsgård makes, his team of jokers applauds and encourages him even more. Yeah. Let's keep pushing the envelope. Let's go farther. Let's keep seeing what we can get away with. I caught myself at this point thinking, like, I don't know if I'm pulling for this guy or not anymore. Mm -hmm. Started to get on the point where I'm ready for something terrible to happen to him. Mm -hmm. And that's a tough thing to do, I guess, with your, at best, anti-hero, mostly just not, like, it's just a bunch of dueling antagonists, really, in this film. There's not a, I guess the protagonist, M, has gone home. Well, we got to spin him out at some point. We got to make him realize right. that this, he's got to he's got to hit rock bottom. That this lifestyle is fun and games for now, but you'll eventually hit a wall and encounter something that you are uncomfortable with. Well, he's still not there though. They're going to take him even lower. Yeah, I mean, there's he's still going to go even worse than this. But what kind of gets him to like, I got to get out of this place is. You know, they're go- he's trying to get a passport, the, the elusive passport. We got to go get this guy who's having a procedure done at this hospital. We'll kidnap him. Then you can have some fun with him. Beat him up, piss on him, which they do. Yep. Uh, and then when Gabby unveils the hood of this cop, it's him. So he beat the shit out of himself, pissed yeah. on himself, which is such a metaphor yeah. for what everybody's done to him the whole time. And he freaks and all of the strength that Gabby's been trying to instill in him, which I think turns her on and gives her kind of a position of dominance as well as that she created the monster, which if you think about the breastfeeding thing that you you talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. the lack of creation that she's able to do in the physical manifestation of birthing and that the comment she makes a couple times with daddy issues and some of the way that that plays out in the film. When, when he sees what he's doing, when, James sees what he's beaten up himself and pissed on himself with the aid of Gabby's husband. He runs into the bedroom and closes the door. At what point or who do we associate running into the bedroom and locking the door behind them with children or Jesse? Yeah. 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 Children. Children. Yeah. And who usually is the one to bring them out? Yeah. Yeah. Mom. Okay. So here we play that out. This, these weird fucked up domestic Mm -hmm. roles here. What happens though is, and she uses everything from come out and I'll give you a popsicle to you and your body double can both fuck me at the same time. <laughs> that That's pretty like fun that. to do. And yeah. it fails. Yeah. So then that's when things turn for all of the characters involved. Mm. Mom is a terrible mom and it's been presented to her as such because mm. in her vacation from her domestic jail, hers is motherhood with all the breastfeeding that she's doing in a weird way, but nonetheless, it's there. Yeah. And we know the Cronenbergs love to play with like yeah. debaucherized motherhood. Yeah. Then you get the son that I grew up into, the big, strong man reduced to this 
groveling mass of, of pity and she couldn't be more turned off. And what's the next step? She even says that. She's like, she's like this is so, so unattractive, Jamesy, <laughs> right? Jamesy. Yeah. And then to say, like, you and your brother can come out and fight. What? Yeah. I mean. You're double. Yeah. That line to me was like, just the brush it off sort of incestuous way. Because these people have done it, right? I don't think that'd be the first time that happened. Yeah, Gabby. I was like, she's probably been with her double a couple times. <laughs> like, oh, wow. It's just these people have gone there tenfold over, which is why I think they're doing what they're doing to James is like, they're almost bored with mm-hmm. what this country offers. Oh, so to, yes, they're like, tired of the same thing that they do on vacation all yeah. the time. So they don't even have an escape from the escape. Yeah. Oh, Christ. So let's lead this guy along oh, and Christ. kind of send him, him, him along on this crazy path. So he, he's hit rock bottom now. Now, this is when he really bottoms out. Yeah. And the reveal for me, and this is the reveal I loved in the theater, which was... Uh, you being James. You, yeah. you picked up on it pretty well. Uh, she, she, he spurns her advances for the, for the night and goes to the bathroom, and his passport's tucked up underneath the sink. Like, dude, this guy wanted... He didn't lose it. He wanted to hang Stay. out a couple extra days to see what he could get up to. Yeah. And now he's reached his fill, right? I loved that. And, you know, you kind of get that from the rye smile uh, mm-hmm. when he watches his first execution. But now it's like, I'm at capacity. I can't take any more of this. I need to get back to my normal life. Uh, I got to get out of here. So he tries, but, man, these these guys aren't going to let him go that easily. Well, they pull him over speed style on the high... Oh, you got it? Okay, mm-hmm. things that she says i mean she calls him baby multiple times and then she also calls him a bedwetter so mm-hmm. all these childish infantile things that she's equating him to mm-hmm. archaic mother uh gabby here Eesh. is really gonna let him have it here in a second because she's on the hood of the car like we're doing the uptown funk music video here drinking wine and <laughs> kentucky fried chicken i don't even know what yeah and if she was all about building up this man's ego not only with the handy but by reading his book and asking when's the next one coming out and making him feel so self-important to just throw all that out the window and be like, I never read your book, James. Yeah, It's so pathetic to think that you wrote one book six years ago and you think people would still care. It's just, you're just a little fun for us, Jamesy. Oh, and then man. she reads that terrible review. Oh, yeah, my God, yeah. There's, and, and the review, which points out that he is uh his uh publisher father-in-law holded oh. by his father-in-law yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's a low that's the lowest of the blows right there yeah and he gets a, a little upset right i mean you can say i i couldn't tell if it was sweating from walking up the side of the row or if there was like almost like a little tear like kind of went down his cheek mm. that's like really getting to him right mm-hmm. he does realize how kind of pathetic he is yeah 
What did you think of all that? Just, yeah, we're just leading this little dog along, right? Well, we finally identified who the real villain in the film is, mm. and it's it's Gabby. Yeah. The problem is, I guess, for James is he's been so into her. In a Cronenberg, neo-noir film kind of way, he's in so deep with the femme fatale, there's no way out. And she's got him at gunpoint behind a car, which is really interesting too, which is what got him in this mess, is getting hit by a car. Yeah, They're just taunting him all around. Mm -hmm. The action that caused him to get involved with this group, yeah. his failures as a writer, another examination in his failures as a lover. Um, it just continues and continues, and they're just breaking this man down to nothing. Yeah. Until the point where I, I don't even remember exactly how, like, she, she spills the wine or the well, gun the, bumps the, off the car yeah, and hit the, a bump or something. Yeah, the wine... Uh, falls off the hood of the car. Oh no, my, then my wine. And then he makes a play for the gun. And then they wrestle on the pavement for a little bit. And she takes him down. Yeah, yeah. And so he runs into the woods and puts a slug in his leg, right? Mm -hmm. So now he's wandering the countryside of this crazy country. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with, uh, you know, no idea where he's at. You know, passes out, you know, in this farmhouse and then they do something pretty cool. And I kind of like the way that they, they go with it. So, you know, he wakes up in this, you know, farmhouse and it's the kid that yeah. executed him on the first double execution. The, the, the guy he hit, uh, his dad. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Oh wow. Like, of course he would end up at that house, this last house on the left now. And yeah, the, exactly. this kid goes and starts to choke out Skarsgård and he tries to put up a fight. And then he has a weird hallucination where it becomes his wife choking him out as all the, the cadre of doublers, the cult of doublers watches and cheers on. And then he like splits the head open. I mean, it gets, it gets, it gets wacky. Yeah. Uh, and then he wakes up and then he's, it's just kind of normalized again. But I kind of like that. They at least alluded to something that I was thinking about. I was like, what if he ended up at like the house of the guy he killed? Like how would the people react to seeing that body again? Right. And I like that they, they kind of play it off as a hallucinate hallucination and a dream because you know, the movie's getting a little long and like, that's going to take us in a whole nother direction. Yeah. Of, thematically. What does that mean for the family of the victim? Right. Well, now we're going to actually really kill the guy. Uh, so they kind of walk that back a little bit, but they tease it out uh, in that, in that really trippy scene. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're waiting for him outside of the farm, and the final taunt is on. you James I know it's been hard but believe me when I say that we are on a mission of mercy it's time for you to shed that disgusting larval mind of yours and find out what kind of a creature you really are bring the dog I'm not 
So they bring the dog out and it bring out the gimp. Uh, it's uh, it's the double he didn't kill. It's himself, all leashed up, huffing brute drug, uh, and they want him to kill this thing and we can be done with it, right? The mm-hmm. final transformation, the final metamorphosis. Born again hard. Yeah, death and then rebirth. Yep. And he's just like, absolutely not, you crazy psychopaths. But again, fight or flight, he has no choice. This double starts attacking him, this rabid dog. Uh, so he has no choice. I mean, at that point, I mean, if your double's attacking you like that, even though you're like, I don't want to kill myself, uh, you're going to fight back. I mean, you don't mm-hmm. want this thing to choke you out. So boy, does he fight back. Dude, he, dude, he splits this head wide open with his bare fists. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> Orbital eye sockets falling out, skull fracture, blood gushing, bloody fists. Like, ooh, yeah, it's just. Killed himself with his own two bare hands. Yeah. But as crazy as that is, I think the scene that follows is even crazier. Go ahead. Well, I guess he's crossed the bridge of whatever... Um, Born again? Acceptance. Yeah. The double incorporated group wants. And so what's his reward for that? Well, <laughs> he falls into mom's arms and immediately takes on the persona of a baby, mm-hmm. like a small child. Yeah. And there was nothing about lover resting on other lovers chest that was mother and son from the minute he cuddled up to her yeah and what does gabby do she takes the blood that's his own blood off of his fist Mm -hmm. pulls out her breasts rubs it on her nipple and lets him start nursing and the craziest thing at this point i wasn't even surprised i said it's sooner or later he's and i i saw that coming yeah that's about right which is (laughs) shocking to see in a film, but Brandon Cronenberg had set up such a nice narrative in this. Mm-hmm. It, it was off-putting, don't get me wrong. Oh, of course, yeah. But, and credit to both Skarsgård and Mia Goth for wanting to go down that road in this this performance. <laughs> but he latches on and just goes for it. <laughs> but now, all sins are, are, are um, yeah. forgiven. Yeah. And he's part of the group, and and we can go forward now. We don't have to kill you. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. That, I, that's all it took. Oh well, shit. If that's all it took, why yeah. didn't I? We did do that in the orgy. Yeah. Exactly. No, I think it's just yeah, death, uh, rebirth through death. You got to kill your former self, literally your other self, to be reborn as this new person. And I love that, that it's infantile, that he almost very mm-hmm. Voldemort-like almost shrivels up like this child, this man baby. Yep. And then just su- su- uh, sidles up to the teat mm-hmm. and has himself a has himself a meal. Shoo. And we already, yeah, we saw that earlier. You're right in the orgy bit with she's producing milk uh, to feed her young, the newborn again. Born again into this debaucherous society of double incorporated. I like that you call it double incorporated. Yeah. That's a loaded image, right? I loaded. mean, you don't just get to do that and just like get to walk away from it. It's shocking. It's, but it's also telling about, you know, what these characters are supposed to represent. He's a new person at this point and maybe not for the better. Uh, Cause vacation's over. The resort's closing up for the rainy season. We got to get back to the, uh, the airport. We're going to say our goodbyes, but then we get to the scene that you uh, alluded to earlier in a scene I really like as well, which is they're in the, transport van to the airport and you just see how normalized these guys uh tourists revert back to we've seen these guys 
in orgies, killing, you know, just debauchery. Like, mm-hmm. give Guns and Roses a run for their money, right? Yeah. And they just return to, oh, I need to, you know, I need to go tip the gardener. Or like that reminds me, we need, we gotta, we gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna make over the home when I get, when I get back. He's going back to work, and the look on Scar's guard is just like, WTF? Like, mm-hmm. you can't act that normal after all the stuff we just did, right? Mm-hmm. We're changed. We're different, and it's it's nothing to these people. So now that's where that money piece comes back in. It's just. This is just rich person vacation, right? Yep. <laughs> it's just yep. every summer we'll go away to the resort town of Latoka. We'll get to live it up. No consequences. We'll pay our fees, and then we'll go back home to our everyday monotony. Jesus Christ. In the back of the bus, he's by himself, and it's almost like he's on an elevated seat, throne-like. Mm-hmm. And I think he's the king or the royal, the sovereign, looking over his court of ne'er-do-wells and can't believe what's happened. Yeah. And he's not sold. Mm-hmm on it until the next scene. And that's, we get to the airport yeah, and it's a quick goodbye. His lover, sometimes queen Gabby barely gives him like, and enjoy the flight. And that's it. Off she goes. And he's left waiting in the terminal, looking at all of the domestic nightmares around him. People eating box lunches, kids playing chase and arguing each other. And just the hell of family life. This is all preceded before the bus with a conversation that I assume he's having with him, which is looks like an apology and I'm coming home and we'll make up when I get home. Yeah. Which is then giving up the life that you've just been reborn into, like we said, to the life that you used to hate. And in that airport terminal, sitting by himself, he realizes, I can't go back. Yeah. There's no place for me over there. So cut to the resort and it's closed up and raining and the weather's not good and we get him sitting in the rain, which I think is really interesting that he's sitting in the rain having all of that washed away mm-hmm. with more fluids, yeah. waiting for the rainy season to end so we can do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to get up to it in the interim, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this is just my life now. I'll just live here. Yep. Until the funds dry out. The king at his desolate kingdom. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. <laughs> pretty wild ending, right? It's yeah. just a lot of admission and guilt and complacency at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. I'm maybe I'm comfortable here. Maybe this is more my speed. I, I don't know. There's so many different ways to interpret that final him sitting on the beach there. Mm-hmm. A cleansing of sorts or a contentment to this type of lifestyle yeah. or an admission of my old life with M is over. Mm-hmm. I can't go back. There is no going back after this. I killed myself three times. I have three urns in my luggage. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Put those in the trophy case? Admire them? Admire how strange and weird that was? Well, how's he going to explain that to her? Yeah. Oh, I did it a couple more times. Well, right. Yeah, you, how's that conversation going to go? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, and then the handy on the beach? <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. Fade to black. Credits. Written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, it's a nice and fish. I think it's like 150-ish. Uh, but yeah, that's the film in a nutshell. Go check it out. It's on Hulu right now. I think you have to watch the theatrical version. So if you want that uncut, you want those juicy bits, you got to get the disc. Yeah. Uh, but Matt, what's your favorite tasty note, scene, sequence, moment? Oh, one more thing. The title, Infinity Pool. At the beginning of the, the movie, they do kind of a crazy thing when M and uh, James are walking to the buffet 
and the camera's introducing us to the resort, and it's kind of doing like a 360, like spinny spin through all the different, like the pool and the buffet tables and the walkways. And like the final one is a literal infinity pool, which for people that don't know what that is, it's like a pool that has like a kind of like a glass threshold with a tippy top that when you're like in it and you look away, it looks like it's just endless. Yeah. Like it looks like it's just continuous ocean or continuous pool. So that's why they call it an infinity pool. And the resort has one. And so it inverts. And so it's like the infinity pool, but you get like a perfect doubling of the top and the bottom, which I think is a great foreshadowing to all the freaking doubling we're going to be doing throughout the movie. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back to the question. Favorite tasting note of Infinity Pool. His doubling process. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, and the look inside his mind's eye about what he's experiencing as they are cloning him. That Mm -hmm. was trippy. Yeah. And super cool. Yeah. And Possessor had a similar scene where Mm -hmm. it was like the skin like coming onto like the body and like filling in. Yeah. The word we used was husk, right? It was Mm -hmm. very just like a shade of your former self. Uh, my favorite scene is, I think it's that pitch, the pitch between Von Strucker and Skarsgård, because mm. that, that really changes this into a beast of a different animal of a type of film of. Now you're dealing with a country that can clone, and for a small fee, you can get that clone, and it could stand in for you. And just that that idea alone, you could make a, a like 10 movies over with like just that scientific creation. Yeah. And the way that they go about it, I think, is yeah, pretty unique um, to, to this one itself. What's the... Oh, my God! ...moment of Infinity Pool? His first doubles execution. That was crazy, watching the blood and how well it was handled. Because that's what probably would happen if you were stabbed 50 times in the stomach the way he was. Yeah. Uh, that was... Um, I, I had my hands at my head. Yeah. I was hanging on. Uh, it yeah. wasn't white knuckly. I just, it, it was, that was hard to watch. Yeah. Relentless. Yeah. Br- brutal. Br- the brutality in that scene is. And the fact that it's a, k- a little kid too. Yeah. Doing it to him. Mm-hmm. Almost like he's getting a little joy out of it for getting his dad's killer or whatnot. Is, uh, it's another loaded avenue to, to drive down. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, which, what could I pick, man? Is, there's a, a sea, an infinity pool of, oh my God, yeah, in this. Yeah, no doubt. Uh First viewing, second viewing, this viewing, oh, it's the breastfeeding at the end. It's just like, of course, you know, it's set up well, but it's still shocking. Like, mm-hmm. just like I couldn't believe we're going there and that our two leads are just really going for it. Uh, impossible moment to predict that that would, that, that couple seconds would be in a movie like this, but yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Who's the master distiller on Infinity Pool? And that's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're doing this film to, showcase Brandon Cronenberg. So that's the obvious one. But you know what? Who I thought really was excellent in this film was Mia Goth. Yeah. There's a lot of performances and obviously Cronenberg, but I'm going to go with her. Uh, she was an excellent villain in that, yeah. in this film and did a really good job of being incredibly hot and incredibly terrifying at different times. Yeah. Yeah. Very Sharon Stone, basic instinct, like kind of is able to walk both sides of that coin. Right. Yeah. Great choice. Uh, I'm going to go with fantastic. She's fantastic expert direction and writing from Cronenberg. I'm going to give it to Skarsgård, an actor that I totally wrote off like completely. Uh, And he's really impressed me with, especially these last two films of his I saw, The Northman and and, uh, this one here. So 
Guy's got some acting chops, and there's a lot asked of him in this movie, a lot of pain and crying and abuse that he has to take, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he does it pretty well. Me too. All six foot, four and a half of him. Mm-hmm. How are you going to rate and grade Infinity Pool? Our rating system, all around whiskey, liquor, etc. We have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Tippy Top Shelf. Where are you going this week? This is so wickedly unique. It's the best of Single Barrel. This is unlike anything else I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll absolutely watch it again. I'm sure there's four or five things I'll pick up, if not more. Mm-hmm. Visually, it's a style that is so germane to a, a Cronenberg, Brandon Cronenberg-looking film. Like he, Two films in, I know a Cronenberg film now when I'm watching it. You can just, he has a way. Yeah, uh, The fact that he wrote it and directed it and delivered it in a complete story that didn't get lost in the own bullshit like a Shemilan does sometimes. Mm-hmm. This is a really, really strong, strong piece of filmmaking. Yeah. It's going to be too weird for a lot of people to recognize what it is. <laughs> yeah. But is it now? And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and it is. Yeah. But and possessor, I feel has, well. has that too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's, this is a single barrel. This is a, 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 an excellent, excellent film. Excellent. Wickedly unique for me. Yeah. I knew you were going to like it. I, yeah. I just knew. Good choice. Yeah, I, good knew, I knew conceptually, I was like, once they introduced, you know, the whole cloning thing, I thought that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But then once it introduced all the concepts of just like money and, you know, upper class and just like all those thematic heavy themes that like it, it all just naturally played into. I was like, we're going to have a ton of things to talk about. On oh, this we could do a whole nother show and not talk about the same thing twice. Exactly. Yeah. It'd just be a different combo. Uh, I'm with you. Single barrel on this one. I think it's. Another fantastic entry in his filmography. Uh, I'm always telling people to go check out Possessor. Got to see that. And I'm telling people now, you got to see Infinity Pool. It's going to spin you out. It's you're not If you're not used to this type of like weirdness, uh, it's going to take some course correction to kind of get on board with it. But, man, if you're looking for like, like heady sci-fi with some horror... Have it be a little sexy and a little kind of like like a little trippy at times. I mean, this this is a fun watch. I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. Challenge yourself a little a little bit here, and uh, yeah, take 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 the dive here. But I came away. At the end of the day, I came away. I'm like Brandon Cronenberg's. If he wasn't on my radar already, he's like super on my radar, and I can't wait to see what what his next project is because we'll we'll go see it. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, to your rating. To your rating. Let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Being that we're talking all about Mr. Brandon Cronenberg, this just felt like a natural question for me. And especially revisiting some of dad's old works of, you know, what might, you know, a modern interpretation of one of these ideas look like. So my nightcap to you, uh, if Brandon Cronenberg were to remake any of his dad's old films, any, any of them at all in his entire filmography with the modern sensibilities that he's brought to Possessor and Infinity Pool, which film would you like to see him tackle? There's a couple reasons I chose this film. Okay. One is I don't think it's a good film. Okay. It's his most critically acclaimed film, however. And it's not what we would associate with typical typical Cronenberg fare. 
a lot of this movie for me is how do you deal with the life you are leading now based on the shit you've done in the past? How do you hide your sins? How do you forge a new path forward? And you might say, is he talking about a history of violence or is he talking about this film? I hate a history of violence. Mm -hmm. I think it's terribly overrated. I don't know how it got awarded anything. I think it's ridiculous at the end of the scene is cut up some meatloaf and we're all good. Yeah. I do think though, because that graphic novel is pretty solid. Yeah. That there's a good story there. So there's also also some personal animosity running through that as well. Yeah, Yeah. there is. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And for what that, what are they talking about? The guy that wrote, it's a total prick. Yeah. And if he's listening, Josh, you're a prick. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but you, you also spent some time at the company that produced that too, right? I did. Bender Spink. Bender Spink. Yeah. It's not a really around anymore. Yeah. But but uh, they were like all about that movie when you were kind of floating around, right? It was just like, mm-hmm. just like, look at this great masterpiece we made. And you watch it and you're just like, eh, I suppose. The thing that trips me out about History of Violence too is it, uh, William Hurt, who I already just kind of don't care for. He's in that movie for like three minutes. Mm-hmm. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And dude. terrible. Yeah, doing, doing like a weird like Pennsylvania Billy, bus. Billy, or whatever the yeah. uh, Viggo Mortensen's name is. Yeah. Tommy, Tommy. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Faux Italian. Yeah. Fuck you, William yeah. Hurt. Yeah. 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 It's that. Yeah. I want to see Brandon Cronenberg adapt that in a way that's not filled with anger and pissiness on an A-writing gig and handle it better than... His father did because I don't think his father knew what he was getting into. And I think he was too old to do that movie. Yeah. So that's it. It's not The Brood. It's not Videodrome. I kicked the tires on Rabid, uh, mostly just because I love that film and I'd love to see it redone with a modern day budget mm-hmm. and a modern day eye on it. That's my that's my favorite Cronenberg piece is, is Rabbit. Yeah. I, I loved that film. There is a remake of it. Uh, it was made a couple years ago. Kind of a small release, though. I haven't seen it. So mm. History of Violence. Great choice. Thanks. What do you got? This is the first film I thought of. The second I thought of the question, it was just like, I was like, the version we get is already like crazy and extreme, but imagine that set today with like that type of filmmaking sensibility that Brandon brings. Dude, give me Brandon Cronenberg's Videodrome any day. Like, dude, that'll yeah. be a wild ride. The comments he could make on today's social, the importance of media today. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, between the social media and smartphones and just outside of just the video spectrum of Videodrome, mm-hmm. that could be wild. And it could be egregiously uncomfortable at the same time. Just like think of all like the Videodrome stuff we got with Samurai Dreams and, mm-hmm. you know, the the whippings in that in that oh, movie. Yeah. I think he could really take it to the, like the extreme levels of what we'd be comfortable with seeing. So in consideration for the fly. Oh yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah, give me Brandon Cronenberg's the fly. I'm down for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg's scanners. Uh, I think scanners is maybe uh, my history of violence for you for Cronenberg. Mm. Fantastic head explosion is the th- part everybody remembers, but then the, the film's fairly just whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's a great idea. Uh, telepathy with like the, like this, like army of telepathy guys. Yeah. Uh, him redoing that, I think, could be pretty pretty interesting as well. Dead Zone? Possibly possibly Dead Zone. Maybe, huh? Yeah. I like your answer, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just thought of just like, how uncomfortable would it be to watch Brandon Cronenberg's video drop? Reintroducing that to, you know, a society that hasn't really seen it. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah, we got, we got a big name in there playing Max Wren, and then, hey, you could get James Woods to play Barry Convex in the redo, right? Oh, yeah. 
yeah. get some uh, new pop star to play the Debbie Harry part. Like, I think Cardi B. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I don't know, maybe someone better, but I think there's a lot of meat on that bone to like really chew into. So, yeah, yeah. Brandon Cronenberg's Videodrome and Brandon Cronenberg's History of Violence coming soon. Uh, maybe never in your dreams. <laughs> yeah, in our blockbuster from uh, our Heaven blockbuster, which. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the segue into to the next. So that's a wrap on our Cronenberg cask. Uh, we're going to stay firmly rooted in the spooky season here. And, you know, Videodrome was kind of the instrument of inspiration in this. Just like seeing all the videotapes and the scrambled station. It just reminded me of just like what it was like on like a weekend to like go rent a movie with your family or yourself. And... <clears throat> Just have it for a couple days. You watch it, you rewind it, you return it, and just like what that was all about. And, you know, I think a cool part of the video store that, you know, that we're missing is just that, you know, kind of community feel that it was like to go shopping for tapes. And one piece of that is, you know, like staff recommendations is, you know, if you had a cool video store, you might have like your employees would be like, well, these are like jeans picks or whatever. And they would guide you on a path of, palatability right uh yep. stuff that they were into so we're bringing the video store to rye smile films this concept um but i'm queuing it all up for you matt so this is our video store that we get to play around with uh maybe we'll come back here a couple times but this time spooky season edition this is matt's picks on the wall so what are the three films and you just do one for now but this is your recommendations in our Rye Smile video store that we're about to get into. And this is a total surprise for me. But uh, A, what do you think about the cast? And B, what are we going to be talking about? Uh, I love this idea. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to particularly love this first choice. Okay. I know you've seen it, but there's a tie between this film and you and me directly. Okay. We're kicking off with Event Horizon. Awesome. And I, ha- I have the copy of it that I'll bring. Okay. Yeah. I often talked about on this on this show of just, you know, we got to do it at some point. Yep. You know, the director's cut, just like all the, the, the story behind the scenes, but just the idea behind it all. Do you want to just brief synopsis real quick? I do. And it's going to be hard for people to find. So yeah. um, that might be a bit of a challenge, but that's okay. They can just listen to the show instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened if a spaceship came back from hell? Mm-hmm. That's That's the story. Yeah. What if? Yeah. We'll show you. Sam Neill, Lawrence Fishburne. I can't wait to get into it. Uh, Jack Noseworthy. Yeah, there you go. Who's the, who's, who's the girl? It's not Natasha McElhorn. It's... Uh, Kate. Is it... Uh, no, no, no. Uh, oh, my God. What's her name? She yeah. was in uh, Apollo 13. Yeah. Um, Barbara... No. Um, I think... Hang on. We're going to do this real quick. Kathleen Kin- uh, Kinlan? Kin- yep. Yeah. Kathleen Kinlan. Yeah, yeah. An amazing cast in a film that nobody saw and made no money for some strange reason. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to get into it. Uh, pick one on Matt's picks for our Rice Smile blockbuster. Do you miss the video store, Matt? Yes. I think I do too, because oftentimes, you know, or people for that matter, they would just go make choices based on how cool the cover looked, right? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that that blurb, that two paragraphs had to sell them. Yep. And then there was something about the VHS art. It was just like, oh, that looks so wicked. I got to get, I got to rent that. And then it was probably garbage, right? Well, that and the ability to spin in four sentences is an amazing tale on the back of it too. Yeah. How could you tease that out? To Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a, a beautiful piece of the experience. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I would be like, uh, those whores, like, 
Yep. I don't know about that. The two tapes I remembered specifically were uh, Night of the Demons, mm-hmm. uh, which is just like this demon with like a card <sighs> and like, yeah, looking all freaky. I was like, that really spun me out. And then there's another movie, speaking of Sam Neill, and I've never seen it. Uh, it's Snow White and the something mm. and it's Sigourney Weaver and Sam Neill. Oh, I'll pull up the cover. Cause you'll for sure have remembered this from the video store. Mm. Um, but you got that coming to you, uh, next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Excellent. Cheers. Well, cheers to you. Cheers to this new cask and to spooky season right now. My favorite time of the year, Matt, my favorite time of the year, but Hey, we got to get going. Uh, I booked us, uh, two tickets to an all inclusive resort. Hey, you better bring that mask that I saw in your closet the other day. Packed. <laughs> Very scary. Excellent, excellent. Uh, hey, endless ceviche for us to have. Yeah, indeed. We'll, we'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Infinity Pool is property of Elevation Pictures, Film Forge, 4Film, Hero Squared, Telefilm Canada, Yuri Images, the Croatian Audiovisual Center, and Celluloid Dreams. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. James, great to meet you. Hopefully we'll see you again next year. Have a good flight. You too.